0: morning, everybody. Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to read a scripture over us, and we're going to jump right in. I think everybody in Dothan decided to go to the beach this weekend, looks like. I know my wife's one of them. <laughs> um, but we will just jump in to worship here in just a minute. And uh, as always, people will just be joining us as we kind of go. But I want to read a scripture about, uh, this is in Revelation chapter 12. We were talking about this during our prayer time. Um, <clears throat> let me find where we go. Here we go. Verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 10. It says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, He who accuses them before our God day and night. And they, the brothers, and they overcame Him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. So one of the one of the things about the scripture that gets me is one is the enemy never stops accusing. Isn't that interesting? It's like you wake up. Uh, doesn't matter how long you've been a believer. Um, doesn't matter if you just got saved or if you've been a believer for 30 years. The enemy, when you wake up, he's going to accuse you of something. And the Bible says they overcame him by two things. One was the blood of the lamb. That means that that's what made grace possible. Until the blood of the lamb, we were still under the condemnation of our sins. The beautiful thing about this, the Bible says that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And it says that in the ministry of the reconciliation is this, that God no longer counts our sin against us. And that's because of the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb and then the word of our testimony is, do you believe what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago? Because he did it. That's done. It's finished. All the work has been done. He said that on the cross. It is finished. But the question is, is it finished for you? So the reality of living this life as a believer on a daily basis is the accuser of the brethren is always going to be telling you you're not worthy, that you're not qualified to be a mom, you're not qualified to be a dad, you're not qualified, in the bit, you're not qualified, period. And when you screw up what you did, it almost feels like the enemy is, is the Lord's voice coming and going, I'm just so ashamed of you. We hear scripture and we hear, we hear the churches teach us sometimes, God's turned his face away from you except for he didn't, <laughs> because he turned his face away from Jesus. All of the wrath of God was placed on his son that day, and that means there's no more wrath for you if you have received the blood of the Lamb, and that has become your testimony. Amen? So we're going to pray, and we're going to worship, and I've got a message this morning I think it's going to be really helpful, but as we get into this, let's just open our heart and say thank you. Um, the Bible says uh, that those who are forgiven much are, love much. And the truth is, no matter what kind of lifestyle you've had, all of us need forgiveness. And when we've had forgiveness and we really realize how much forgiveness we have been given, the Bible says that we can't help but love, not just love God, but love one another. And so that's the that's the beauty of what happened on the cross. So Jesus, we just say thank you so much for your mercy and for your kindness and your love, God, and the gift of grace that you have given us, Lord, the opportunity for us to come before you. Lord, and, and be reminded, Lord, that our sin has been paid for. All of it has been paid for. Jesus, you did that on the cross. The price that you paid, Lord, was more than enough to take away all my sin for all of time. And so, Jesus, I cannot help but be grateful. I cannot help but allow my heart to just soar and connect and relate with you, Lord. I can walk with you literally in the cool of the day, the way that Adam and Eve walked with you before sin took hold. And so, Lord, we just say thank you. Thank you for grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your great compassion, Lord. Thank you that you empower us by your spirit, Lord, to live a life, Lord, that's powerful and it's a testimony to those around us. And so, Jesus, we just honor you and worship you this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.
1: So held captive by the pressure, I speak Jesus. my head i
0: sing that song, it's uh, it's difficult practically to just sense the presence of God, especially if we've screwed up sometime this week, if we've done something, or if maybe we're having a memory, thinking about what we've done in the past. Um, we were talking about in prayer this morning that part of what the enemy's job is, the Bible says, is he is the accuser of the brethren, and he brings accusation every single day against us. But the Bible says that we overcame by the blood of the Lamb. And the word of our testimony. So because the blood was shed on the cross, that, that wasn't enough for you. It was enough for everybody in the sense that it was provided. But there's something you have to do. There's something you have to do, and it's simple. It's not work that you have to do. The Bible even says, tell us the work that we need to do. Not the works, plural, all the things, but the work. And the work simply is to believe upon the one he sent. That's it. That's what you have to do is believe in what Jesus did. So what does that mean practically? So often we'll sing a song like this, and we'll say, you know, He is for me, He is for me, He is for me. And somewhere in the deepest, darkest sources of your mind, or recesses of your mind, something back there says, yeah, but is He really? Is He really? Because I see my circumstances, and I feel this low-grade fever of doubt, you know, condemnation, fear. And it's interesting, this is the Bible, this is... a. Uh, Luke, or sorry, First John 4.16 says, We've come to know that we believe the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God. So God is love. is who He is. It's what He does, right? It goes on. It says, By this love, by this, love is perfected with us. In other words, it's made complete. Perfected just means, in the Scripture, just means made complete. So that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. It's interesting because fear has to do with punishment, the Bible says. So there's a sense of if there's fear inside of you, there's this, this past of something I've done. Really, it's not the past so much. It's the fear of what that means, the bad thing that you did, whatever it might have been. And we all have something back there. That someday we're going to have to stand before God and give an account. And we know it. We sense it in the deepest recesses of our heart. We know an account must be given, and that's true. But it goes on. It says, By this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Why? Because as he is, talking about Jesus, so also are we in this world. It's a powerful statement. Because as he is, so are we. So what was he? He's completely forgiven. He's completely free of sin. He never sinned, so he didn't have to be forgiven. But we did sin. And what the Bible tells us is what happened on that day on that cross was enough. It it took away the sin of man. What's fascinating about this, on the day that Jesus died on that cross... In the hour, the Bible says that the lamb was being brought for a millennia. This lamb was brought to be a sacrifice. It was a picture that could never take away sin. It would roll the judgment of sin back one more year. But the weight of that judgment was always in the future. That somehow, somewhere, that judgment is going to come to me when I stand before God. And there's a picture of this lamb. It had to be spotless. There couldn't be a blemish on it. And it was sacrificed. And they saw this millennia. Year after year, they had a representation, a symbolic picture of innocent blood has to be spilt on my behalf. But the lamb's blood, the natural, physical lamb, the animal, was never enough. It was just a picture. But on that day, when Jesus shed his blood on the cross, that was the lamb of God shed for you and I to take away the sin of mankind. Listen to what it says. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Why? Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. So even as a believer, you could be literally tormented with fear, fear of failure, fear of judgment, all kinds of fear that comes up. It goes on and says, we love because he first loved us. See, what draws me to the, to, to the love of the Father is not that somehow I need to do the right thing. But what draws me to them is I recognize what he did on my behalf. And because of that, I love him so deeply. And at some point when I place my trust in Jesus, what he did on that cross, the Bible says that all your fear can be taken away. So we're going to go back in this, this song in just a second. But there's a, there's a scene in the movie, Risen. It's a little bit older, but if you get a chance to watch it. And a centurion is, is questioning Bartholomew, one of the lesser-known disciples. And he's trying to get him to tell He's trying to get him to tell him where all the other disciples is so he can find out what's happened with Jesus. And he starts telling, if you don't tell me what I, I want to know, I'm going to crucify you the same way Jesus was crucified. And he starts telling him in detail what that looks like. The nails and he goes through a big picture. And at the end, Bartholomew's on his knees and his, his head is down and he's recognizing what that potentially could mean. And so the last question the centurion asks him, he says, Where are the disciples? Bartholomew gets up and he walks up to him he's sitting on a desk the centurion he walks up to the centurion he leans over in his ear and he starts smiling and he says they are everywhere and then he laughs and the centurion does not know what to do next because in all of his experience his only weapon was fear and he put it by I'll take your life and I'll take it by torture I will torture you to death And for whatever reason that we know now, that didn't work on Bartholomew. It's like, do your worst. I don't fear you. I don't fear anything. And I definitely don't fear death. And I just want to challenge you this morning as we go back into this song. Is there something that's holding you back? Is there a fear? Because the Bible says fear has to do with judgment. Whatever fear you're dealing with, fear of not being enough, fear of not making enough money, fear of what's going to happen in my old age, whatever fear is there, fear of not ever getting married or having a relationship or whatever it is, fear has to do somewhere in that. Fear has to do with judgment. And I just want to challenge you to remember that all the judgment was taken on that day on Jesus so that you could have all of God's love and all of his blessing and all of his favor upon you. You didn't deserve it. You were not worthy, but he has made you worthy. So would you just open up and say, Lord, whatever this fear is, I'm laying it down because I see how much you love and there's no fear because I'm not gonna be judged. So Jesus, we just do that right now. Whatever fear is there, Lord, somehow you're not gonna take care of us, Lord. Lord, I just just lay that down because I know it's not true. Your favor and your goodness is ever, ever before me because of what Jesus did on the cross and because I've received that as my testimony. I've believed that to be true because it is true. And now, Lord, I'm completely free from all fear. Jesus' name. Let's just worship.
1: He with you, he is with you, in the morning.
0: So, Jesus, we just come and we, we say amen, Lord, so be it. Lord, we say thank you that it's been settled once and for all. Lord, you said before you died on the cross, you said it is finished, Lord. The significance of that is that your sacrifice, Lord, was greater than all of the sin of all of humanity that could be put upon you. And you said I no one takes my life away. I give it willingly. So, Jesus, we say thank you for laying your life down, Lord. For giving us the gift of righteousness, Lord, and taking our sin upon you. Lord, we can never be thankful enough, Lord, but our heart rises up in gratitude knowing what you've done on our behalf, Lord. It just makes us love you because you loved us first. So, Lord, we say thank you for that this morning. Lord, I pray that all fear will be put behind us, Lord, that we wouldn't struggle with that on a daily basis, Lord that the fear of death, the fear of judgment, Lord, is settled in what you did on the cross, Lord. When we receive you into our heart and our life, and we confess that you are the one who paid the price, Lord, then we no longer, you said our sin is no longer counted against us, and then we've been given the ministry of reconciliation to share that truth with everybody that we meet. So, Jesus, we just say yes and amen in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody. You can go ahead and grab a seat. Thank you. If you're new here this morning, I saw a couple of new people. Uh, First thing we're going to do is have you come up and sing a special. No, I'm just kidding. You will not have to. You ever been in a church where they're like, Oh, we're going to call you out and embarrass you in front of all your friends? Actually, you don't know anybody, so we'll embarrass you in front of strangers. Isn't that terrible? So we won't do that, but we're just glad you're here. Um, you're actually here on, on today. We're doing something, a new series I'm starting just to, this week, actually, um, called Belonging, what it means to be part of a local family, a local church and a family. So if, if you're looking for a local church, um, trying to plug in, trying to decide whether this, or if, you, if you're if you fairly new to DCF, or you've been here a long while, and you're like, you know, I'm not real sure if I'm if I'm committed yet. You know, you've been here 12 years, but you're not sure yet. Whatever. Uh, we're going to talk about what that looks like, what it means to be a part. Uh, but if you're if you're new here, we'd love for you to go to our websites, dothincf.com, or you can type in the whole Christian Dothan Christian We have that name because we couldn't think of a longer name <laughs> than Dothan Christian Fellowship. So DothanCf.com, uh, I'm new here. Just click on that button. There's a little card you can fill out and we'll get in touch with you. Uh, learn a little bit about your story, I hope, and then tell you and share a little bit about our story, and how we all connect. And so, uh, thank you. If you're here new, I'm glad you're, you chose to worship with us. Couple things coming up. We've got uh, 2023 Sisterhood Empowerment Summit. Uh, we're in relationships with other churches in our city, um, and so we connect with them on a regular basis. This one's kind of special. It's a leadership uh, summit. I think it's for, just for women. I asked Karen if I could go, and she said absolutely not. So it's going to be really, really good. Um, I'm not going to get to be a part of it. So she'll come and testify and tell me how good it was. But our own Lori Bigums is going to be speaking at this conference. And so um, if you've never heard her speak, this is going to be a chance you get to come and hang out with her and see what God's doing. Um, see Karen or one of the other ladies, one of the other leadership ladies for details on that. And then next, we have a range day coming up because we're the South, and that's what we do at church. We shoot guns. And So <laughs> so one of the things, we, the reason why we're doing this, this, this came out of our men's fellowship, and, it, and it's a passion. It's really amazing. Mark, um, who, who's leading our men, his heart was, you know, there are a lot of ladies, especially in our church, and maybe some guys, but a lot of ladies who, who, who don't know enough about guns to feel safe, with a gun. So even if they or especially if they're living alone, to have a gun in their home is potentially more dangerous to them than it is someone who's trying to get in in, in you know as an intruder. And so he wanted to he wanted to remedy that. And so part of this is um it's kind of a, a beginning course if you will. He's a NRA uh instructor. He's also he flies helicopters so if he can teach us that that would be super helpful as well. But we can <laughs> we can shoot a lot of things not helicopter he's leaving that at the base but you can shoot nine millimeter uh twenty two um, they're probably have some people out there with some ARs that can, you can shoot. But we're going uh, to rent two bays. One bay is going to be for the newbies, anybody who's just brand new, and he's going to instruct them. And the other bay is just going to be if you want to come out and just shoot and have a good time. But the big part of this is just help you get um, acclimated to, to uh, guns and what they are and how they work. And then you can decide whether you want one, If you're, especially if you're a single lady, if you want one in, in your home or not. Uh, there will be a lot of guns there that you can try, so if, you, if you're if you like, I've been thinking about getting something for self-defense, but I don't know what that might be, uh, this is an opportunity for you to try out several guns without having to rent them, so anyway, it's a great opportunity. Uh, rounds for 9mm are about 30, 30 cents a piece, so it, it's not free to shoot guns, <laughs> so keep that in mind, but uh, if you, you can buy those local stores, but also if you don't, if you can't find, find some, uh, Mark has a lot of bullets and so he he's gonna he's going to make some of his bullets available for about thirty cents a piece just cost so so if you need that and then we'll talk about you know what that looks like but if you're interested in doing that come talk to me uh, or mark of course um, and we'd love to talk to you about what that looked like uh, what that looks like and give you some more details and then be Still dothan another thing for the ladies um, if you notice the theme is there was a ladies thing a men's thing and then another ladies thing so we're, we need to step it up, guys. We need, <laughs> we need some more events. Um, but this is this is called Be Still Dothan. This is something that originated out of a relating church that we came from out of uh, Atlanta. Um, Greg and Michelle Haswell lead the church up there. And um, these guys are, are plugging in and really going after what it means to understand grace and to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's a beautiful thing. If you've never been a part of this, um, there's been so many testimonies of the Lord just breaking through breaking stuff off people in this. So come be a part of this as well. That's coming up. You can find all of this information on our website. So go there and check that out. Last thing is just being generous. I'm thankful uh, as pastor of this church that you guys are very, very generous people. Um, I was at a conference, this has been years ago, and they said, how many people in your church give on average? You know, And, and everybody's raising their hand, complaining about all their people, uh, which used to be what pastor's conferences were about. <laughs> and, and and the, the uh, percentage was about 4% across the board. In America, most churches about 4%. That's terrible, by the way. (laughs) People who don't know how to be generous, ours was way above that, and they all thought I was lying. I'm like, you think that's bad? You should find out how many people actually serve at DCF. That'll really make you mad, right? (laughs) So, well done, you guys. Thank you guys for being generous. There's several ways to do it, mostly online. But There's a box over over here for us holdouts who still want to write a check and put that. um, You have to do it with a Hammer and chisel. Anyway, so thank you guys for being generous. And lastly, we're going to release our kids to Kids Church. They're going to go back there with Alta and Mike, and they're going to teach them that there's no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. Amen? God can move our kids as well. I'm going to come back in about a minute or so. So if you need to grab, uh, go to the restroom, uh, out this door into the left are the restrooms, and I'll be back in about a minute or so to preach my message. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Wave at me if you're awake. Awesome. Um, if you have a Bible um, that's not digital, raise your hand if you've got old school Bible. Come on, you guys, you rock. Yeah, you, it just feels right in the hands, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> I, have, I have mostly oh, like 20 Bibles in this iPad, um, but I keep this up here just to make people feel comfortable that I actually have a physical Bible. If y'all need me to read from the scripture, I can do that. I'm um, glad you guys are here. We're starting a new series today called Belonging. Um, how many of you guys have ever tried to find a church? Raise your hand if you ever tried to find a church. Some of you new guys are like, Happen- it's happening right now, literally. Um, I remember we had this lady in our church, in uh, I, we were in England, stationed there in the Air Force. And uh, she was uh, PCSing back to p- permanent change of station, sorry. She's PCSing back to the States with her husband. And she's like, I'm so. this has been such an amazing church. She goes, how do I find a church when I get home? And so the, I, I was happened to be standing there when she was talking to the pastor, and the pastor was like, "Well, what you know, what denomination did you come from? Because we were a, a kind of a, a a group of all kinds of different people. A lot of Pentecostal, charismatic. So you know, Assembly of God, uh, Church of God. Um, we had, I mean, Baptists, charismatic Baptists. I mean, charismatic Catholics. We had all kinds of different people who were represented there. And she said. He asked her what you know, kind of church had she grown up in, what she, was, what she was looking for. And she said, well, I want to go to an assembly of God's church. And he said, first of all, <laughs> it's not plural. It's an assembly of God church, not assembly of God. So if, if you have that church, you probably should steer clear from you know, those kind of churches. So, but I remember him trying to explain to her what a good church looked like. And he'd been in ministry at, at that point for 40 years, and he couldn't do it. <laughs> he literally could not tell her how to find a good church. He just said, "Pray, saints, pray he said that a lot pray right and that 's not bad advice by the way to uh, to pray but but how do you find a, a local church because we talk about you know the church is really an offshoot of the gospel. One of the challenges I think we find in, in what it means to walk in mission is we become the church, and we 've forgotten what it meant to preach the gospel. But all churches are a result of someone preaching the gospel someone understanding grace, someone becoming a believer, believing in what Jesus did on the cross, and then they begin to gather together and something begins to happen. And so uh, Matthew 28, the Bible says that, that you're supposed to, as a disciple, you're supposed to go and make other disciples. That's what you're supposed to do. So often we try to create the church and then from that have disciples. Um, but Jesus said, I'll build my church. But what are you supposed to do? You're not supposed to build the church. You're you are the church, so you can't build it. You're just you're just one of the blocks. You're one of the stones, the living stones. So how how do we do that? Jesus said, your job is to go and make disciples, and then I will build the church. And so so from that we have what we call big church with you know big C church, which is the church you know. Everywhere for all of time. So, all the way back 2,000 years ago, you know, you're part with Peter and Paul and all the other disciples, Bartholomew, I'll mention him, little known disciple. Um, but you're part of the disciples um, who, you know, are connected around the world right now, who are believers. You're part of the Big C church, where all believers who are going to come in till the end of time when it's all said and done. And then there's Little C church, what we call the local church. And that's a representation in the local community. And so the way you see this in Scripture, you see the Book of Acts where they go out and they preach the gospel, and everywhere they went, believers started gathering together. Paul would go into a place, he would preach the gospel, and then they would they would just start believing, right? And so then they would believe, and they'd start talking about what it meant to believe, and they begin to gather together. And at some point, he sent uh, Timothy and Titus, these apostolic leaders, back into the churches that he he had planted to appoint elders. It was always plural. We're going to talk about that in just a second, but he would go and he would say, "Here's what you need to do to get to to begin to organize the or, the organism, <laughs> right? So so we have the organism, the thing that is alive, which is the church, which is every believer, you know, connected, and then they begin to organize together. And so, how many of you guys have ever heard the term organized religion? Anybody ever heard that term? So, so most people are, are, are against it, and about, you know, about every 10 years or so, um, there's this movement in the church or in the world that says, you know what, we've been hurt by church enough, we're, we're tired of this, we're going to deconstruct. You know, Back in the original, they just preached the gospel and they gather in homes, there's no need for organized religion, right? <laughs> Except that's not actually what the Bible teaches, but who cares what the Bible teaches, we're just going to do what we want. So that's usually what happens. And so they begin to say, you know, we're just not going to have a leader. We don't need a lead. We don't need elders. We don't need anybody leading. The Holy Spirit is going to lead us. And I laugh and I laugh because it's so funny when somebody says, we're not going to have a leader, guess who's leading? (laughs) That's exactly right. The person who says, we don't need leaders secretly because I'm the leader, right? That's how that works. So the truth is there's always going to be a leader. It doesn't matter whether you plan it or not. It's always gonna break down because God gives vision. He gives gifts to different people. It just begins to happen. So when Titus and Timothy would come into these churches, they weren't churches yet. They were literally just believers who'd been preaching the gospel, who began to gather together and speak and talk and pray together and all these different kind of things would happen. He writes to the church he says, when you come together, that was the picture of the ecclesia, the gathered ones. When you begin to gather together, something begins to happen and then Jesus begins to build his church and then he puts gifts. He's put gifts and ministries and passions and callings and different people and that begins to take on a focus. So the, the goal of every local church, big C church, coming down into, into little C church is to glorify God. God and make disciples. All of us are supposed to do that. How we do that is different for every single local church. Now, there's tons of overlap. You know, how do you make disciples? Well, everybody's making disciples, whether they say they are or not, they're still doing it, right? Like, we're not making disciples. Yeah, you are. You're just making bad ones. <laughs> right? We're not having leaders. Yeah, you are. It's just secret leadership, right? So there's no way that you're not going to organize. So so the, you know, glorify God and make disciples is if it would be so nice if we were like, okay, so it doesn't really matter. But that's not true because you have healthy churches and unhealthy churches. Anybody testify right a lot of us could right like we know what that means i led a few unhealthy churches which is embarrassing but it was still true a lot of that was because i was young we were also asking the question even back then when i was i'd come out of bible college nobody had ever explained to me what i'm about to talk to you about today <laughs> so what my hope is, is this, if you, what does it mean to belong to a local church, to be a family on mission? What does that mean to be this church as opposed to any other church in our city that are tons of life-giving, healthy, amazing, wonderful churches in our city? But if, if, it, weren't, if it wasn't supposed to be local churches, then wouldn't we all gather together in one church, right? Isn't that what we should do? And that's a question. People say, why don't you just do that? It seems like it would be more streamlined. And I'm like, I don't know, you're gonna to have to talk to the guy who's building it. <laughs> right? So what we find is, we find that it begins to come to a place of, God has a design. You find this in the book of Revelation Um, when when he begins to talk about a lampstand in in the city. So he's talking to um, Revelation chapter 3, he begins to talk to the churches. He said, um, hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the churches, plural, like all the local churches, not just Big C, although that encompasses Big C Church. But what is he saying to Ephesus? What is he saying to Laodicea? What what is the Spirit of God saying to each one of these churches? And So he goes after this and he he says, to the messenger of Ephesus, write this. And so, uh, in, in your Bible, it probably says angel. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write this. The word, I've, used, I've said this many times, the word angel in that context means messenger. It's the same word that was used for John the Baptist. So, so a, a messenger can be an angel, being from, you know, a supernatural being, or it can be a human messenger. So, in this context, we see this is actually a human messenger, right? This is the leader of the eldership of that local church. And he, he speaks to one guy but the expectation is that guy is a leader among leaders. He's, he's a, a, a lead elder. So the best picture we have of that in the world was the, the round table, right? Knights of the round table. Everybody knew who King Arthur was. There was no dispute about him being the king. But the reason he created a round t- table is to, is to help recognize that there's a group of people who are mutually celebrated, mutually honored. They're mutually gifted. Like this guy's an incredible sword. He's the best swordsman out of the group, and it may not be the king. Right, so this guy is incredible with scripture, or this this person is an incredible servant, This person is an incredible counselor, or, or administrator, or whatever. But it may not be the lead pastor, and that's okay. So there's this picture of this uh, this group of elders. But then the book of Revelation, he says, write to this one guy and say this to him. He says, I, I love these things about what's going on in your church, but I have this thing against you. So almost all of them, not everyone, but almost all of them, he's got a challenge saying, man, I love what you're doing in your local church. It's very specific. Go read them. They're different. It's still glorifying God and making disciples, but they're different. And he begins to speak to that, and then he challenges, and he says, hey, you've allowed some stuff to happen in your church that's been created now, that in the gathering, you have created a culture that is absolutely unacceptable with me. And I'm challenging, this is what he said, if you don't fix this, I will remove the lampstand. I will remove the fire. I will remove the presence of God from your church. So you ever been to a church where God wasn't invited? I have. (laughs) Been a couple times where I was leading that church. I was like, God, we don't need you. (laughs) You know, we'll talk to you later. We got, we've, we've been doing church for a while. We're good at this, right? And, and again, it sounds silly, but we get into these things and we create this culture. First Corinthians, Paul's writing to a group of people who are now, they were believers who have now become the church, right? And they're operating the gifts. They're getting drunk at communion. There's a bunch of stuff going on that probably shouldn't be happening in the church, right? <laughs> like some guy sleeping with his mama, whether it was his stepmama or his real mama. Either way, you need to quit doing that. That's probably not helpful for recruiting. Maybe it is helpful for recruiting, but it's not the right kind of recruiting, right? We don't want that. So he challenges that, but he goes after it in grace. That's a whole other series, by the way. But he goes after this, and he says, your, your meetings are doing more harm than good. Have you ever thought about that in the context of a church, a local church, that your meetings could actually be more harmful than they are good. But we don't ever want to say that because it's the church and nobody talks about Jesus' bride, right? But to recognize that there's, there's unhealthy leadership, to recognize there's unhealthy culture in your church is incredibly helpful, especially if you're looking for a, a local church. Because you know, you, you know when you usually find out about it is about a year in. Because it takes that long because you just show up on Sundays. And let's be honest, you're not here every Sunday. But you show up. Maybe you go to a community group. Maybe you don't. You're like, I don't have time for that. You're not serving in a team. So A year, 52 times you hear the pastor preach and the doctrine seems right, you know, but I don't know him. I've never been to his house. I've never had lunch with him. I don't know what's going on in his life. So it takes a while before all of a sudden you discover that what the pastor is saying is not actually what we are doing, right? It's just, it's good intention, but you know, you know, you know where those roads are paved to, right? And so we have to be careful about how we build what we build. And and, and Jesus, Jesus goes after that. Paul goes after this and he says, be very careful about the foundation. All the foundations are built on grace. So if it's not built on grace, there's a good chance it's not even the local church. It's just a group of people who are religious, right? But he said, if it's built on grace, if you're glorifying God and making disciples and it's built on grace, you still have to be careful about the foundation that you build upon this. Because nobody can build on any other foundation than the foundation Jesus Christ established through the cross and what he did on the cross, right? So we know this. So today, I want to talk to you a little bit about what we would do in our About Us class. So you come in. If you're new, like I said, you're getting a, a great picture. But you come in and you're like, hey, I just want to kick the tires a little bit, learn a little bit about whether this church you know, is connected, especially if you're a believer. Like, you know, do I connect with the vision of this church? You know, is it a healthy church? What's this whole thing about grace? You know, I grew up without the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and he's talking about tongues and interpretation and prophecy and, uh, you know. <laughs> like, do I want to be a part of this? And that's a really, really good question. The best question, though, is what is, what is truth? Like, maybe you haven't experienced the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but the ministry of the holy spirit's been wanting to experience you and you've been ignorant. The good news about ignorant is ignorance can be fixed. <laughs> right? Little information, you're no longer ignorant. But you still have to decide what to do with it. We've had people come in and go, "Well, I don't believe in that." I'm like, "I don't care." I'm really I'm super kind. I mean, I'm really I'm like, "I love that you don't believe it, but I really don't care about your opinion nor mine. We're not we're not building on your opinion or my opinion. It's like, "Well, the Bible's complicated." Yeah and no. <laughs> you're just hiding behind the pillars of truth. That's what you're doing. He's like, oh, I don't want to look out because I don't want to actually believe something that the Bible actually says is true because then something is required of me. Now, we had a guy in our church. This is in in Atlanta, Georgia. We had a guy in the church. He'd been in part of ministry for 27 years at the time. Um, he'd been a part of a campus ministry, um, led countless people to Jesus, and we were talking about, he was coming into some leadership and we're having some conversations about grace and he said, honest to goodness, he said, I am embarrassed and ashamed. He was feeling the weight of it. He said, all of these years, he said, I would lead somebody to Jesus and then I would push them back under the law. And he goes, I'm ashamed of myself for doing that. Well, like, first of all, what do you think grace is for? It's for you first, right? So stop doing that, Right. But also stop living with the guilt, shame, and condemnation that you've placed upon yourself because Jesus' blood is way bigger than that. But he, was, he felt it deeply. He said, for 25 years, I've built, built in a way that's really been not helpful. Meeting's doing more harm than good. And so today what we want to do is want to talk to you about what to expect at DCF, at a local church, but ours specifically, and what you can expect from the leaders of a local church. And ours specifically. So, what does that look like? So, for us, we have a a mission statement that says that we transform lives by encountering grace in the Holy Spirit. So, we could lengthen that and say we glorify God and make disciples by encountering grace, right? By seeing lives transformed by encountering grace in the Holy Spirit. So, what does that mean? That really means that the big, big focus for us as a church is we talk a lot. You're going to hear us talk a lot about the gospel of grace, and you're going to Hear us talk a lot about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and who he is and what he does in our, in our midst. For, for me, it was a big combination of bringing the wisdom and the power of God back together again. When I was in Bible college, I recognized it was a, more of a power kind of Bible college. It was Assemblies of God, just one God. <laughs> assemblies of God Bible College. And, um, 25, 30 years ago now. And so when I went into that, I had no understanding of a lot of things. And they helped me understand a lot of things. And if I'm honest, they actually screwed up a lot of things too, right? They said One of my favorites is one of the professors said, um, your old man is never so dead he can't be resurrected. And I was like, that is so profound and not at all biblical. You ever have that? So profound, man, that sounds so spiritual. It's wrong, but it's very, very spiritual. So, so again, what can you expect? And hopefully what we can do is talk to you about what ought to be in place. Do we do it perfectly every single time? No. Do we have a healthy leadership team? Absolutely we do. Do we have a healthy um, senior leader, Karen and Dave? Yes. Does Karen and Dave sometimes fight really well. Like we're, man, I mean, we headbutt and both of us have like these thick, really, foreheads and so we had, but sparks fly right but the bible says that you know this is what's going to happen sparks are going so it's okay but but we have a healthy argument because we resolve the arguments right We're, we don't leave anything undone so again what does it look like for us for us we came into dcf 13 years ago now dcf was already operating as a church had tremendous foundations wonderful things about who dcf was In the meantime, we were coming from 25 years of ministry, having planted churches, done short-term mission trips in Central America. We'd done a lot of stuff. We would taught in some Bible colleges, taught in some Christian schools. We'd done a ton of things and we came and there was an intersection between us as leaders in this local church and we came to the understanding that we believe the same thing, we have the same vision, we have the same heart, we have the same foundations and we begin to just connect and and go together. That's the way that that really works. And so we've been doing that since 2010. We've been leading strong since 2010. Again, my passion was to bring what the Bible says in Corinthians that Jesus is both the wisdom of God and the power of God. To bring both of those back together again. I did a whole series like seven or eight you know Sundays in a row talking about what that looks like. So if you if you're curious, go back and look on our website and you can listen to some of those. Pick one that you like. You can download the PDF and it'll go through the scriptures and the main points so you can find out whether you know you need some Im- information from one of those. But that's been our passion is to bring those back together. So again what we do is we transform lives. Our goal is to see lives transformed because that's what discipleship making is all about, right? So Let me talk about the vital DNA of of, uh, DCF. What is it that makes us us that may be different than others? So maybe there's some other churches that do the same thing, but they don't do it in connection with the power of God. So maybe they're big on grace, but maybe they're cessationists and don't talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit or vice versa. Right, So the the first big vital DNA of DCF, of course, is the gift of grace. And we're going to talk about three different gifts, but the primary, the gift of grace. So let me just read you a couple of passages. Ephesians 2, 8 says, for it is by grace you've been saved. There is no other way you can come to the Father right? except this way. It's what Jesus taught. It's what Paul taught throughout. You can work all you want, and it's never going to be enough. Your merit means nothing to coming into the kingdom. It is only by grace. Um, unmerited favor. You did not earn it, but favor was given to you anyway. That's the only way. Through faith, you have to believe it, right? It can't just be, it happened, therefore it's true for me. No, no, it happened, and you have to decide whether that's true and, and believe that. So, And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. So you can live under um, the gift of righteousness, or you can live under self-righteousness, but you can't have both. You have to pick. And according to Scripture, it says that we should pick the gift of righteousness through grace. Ephesians 3, 7 talks about it. I became a servant, this is Paul. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. He explains this multiple different places, but he says, this was a gift to me. He's he's riding on the road, gonna kill as many Christians as he can. He's gonna eradicate this new sect he, he's very strong and you know, pig-headed, which turns out to be helpful if it's pointed in the right direction, but he gets knocked off his donkey, and he recognizes, like, oh, Lord. <laughs> he may have said some other things, but at some point, he said, uh, okay, I see, what you're, I see what you're doing here, and then he recognized that there was no merit in anything he'd done, although he was incredibly righteous according to the Jewish faith, but he said it's only by the gift of God. So which would you rather have, to go to the bank, and someone say to you, one of the loan managers say, Man, I want to talk to you about some really good advice. If you will pay extra on your mortgage, you will begin to pay down the principal. And I suggest doing this. You'll be able to pay down the principal. At some point, you'll pay off your loan early. You're going you're gonna to avoid all kinds of fees and, and all this. That is really good advice, isn't it? And you should probably do that, right? Right? Or would you rather come into the bank and the loan manager comes running out of his office going, Dave, Dave, you're not going to believe this. Your long lost father who you didn't even know came in and paid your entire mortgage. It's like not only that, he put millions and millions and millions of dollars in the bank and it's all yours. All you have to do is sign. And I'm like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, no no more mortgage. And so the first of the month rolls around because I've been doing it, writing a check, putting it, right? I still do it. I write that check out. Send that mortgage away. Completely paid for, but I'm a product of my culture, so I just keep making payments. Which one would you rather do? Live in the truth that this has been a gift that's given to you on no merit on your behalf, or do it yourself, right? Because you're going to pick one. So it's a free gift. You can't earn it. So I want to talk about three areas of focus in grace. One is simple. Your sins are not counted against you. Listen to the Scripture. This is first, or sorry, Second Corinthians 5.17. He says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, then new creation has come. He said, if you are in Christ, believing and putting your faith, having put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross, if you've done that, you are a new creation. Now you have to decide to walk in transformation and grow in maturity from that moment. You are a brand new baby in Christ, but you are in Christ. Right? Maybe you're not living as morally as you could, but you are in. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he said, here's what he's done. He's reconciled. He's he's balanced the checkbook in your favor. You couldn't balance it because you couldn't come up with all the money that was missing, but he balanced it on your behalf. He paid for it to be balanced. And then he said, now I've given you a ministry to help reconcile everybody else's checkbook. All right, so after the service, I'm going to ask to see your checkbook. I'm just kidding. I don't don't want to do that. Um, So here he goes. He goes into this, and he says, what is the ministry of reconciliation? Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Listen, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message message of reconciliation. So are your sins counted towards you or not? But Dave, you don't understand what I did. I just can't get past this pattern of sin in my life. I've been a believer for X amount of years, and I keep coming back to this thing. Are your sins counted against you? Is it good to sin? Duh. No, it is not. Quit doing that, right? But you're not going to quit doing that because you're fighting it and you're focusing on sin. You're going to quit doing it because you're going to realize that Jesus has paid for all of that. And when you start asking the question about why you keep coming back into this old pattern, you'll go back because the Bible says we're transformed. How? by the renewing of our minds, right? It's not automatic. You have to lean in. You have to believe what the Bible tells you about yourself. And if you don't, you can live in fear. You can live in condemnation. You can be 100% saved and never do the right thing, never walk in all kinds of you know, beautiful things that the, the Bible says that is ours, is as in, as in our inheritance in Christ. Maturity, you can be an image, immature Christian until the day you die, but you're still in Christ. Now, I don't want you to be an immature immature Christian. It's not helpful for you, and it's definitely not helpful if you've been given the ministry of reconciliation to go help others, right? But understanding that your sins are not counted against you. Secondly, the wrath of God is fully satisfied. Listen to this. This is Isaiah 54, 9 and 10. To me, this is like the days of Noah when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I've sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Romans 5, 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him, through Jesus? you ever feel like God's turned his face away from you, you are hearing a lie from the devil. Stop listening. At some point, there has to be confidence that rises up in us as believers. And when the enemy says, you know, because you sinned, God's really not pleased with you. He's not happy with you. He's a little angry with you. And if you don't know any better, you'll go, yeah, that's true. And you'll just go into this deep decline. You'll ignore God. You won't come to church. You'll start living your life as if you're under condemnation because for all practical purposes, you are. But according to scripture, you're not. What would it look like? This is my, one of my favorite scriptures in Hebrew. says that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Not the throne of judgment because we wouldn't be coming boldly there. But the throne of grace. I can come boldly for help in time of need. When do you most need grace? When you feel like you're not walking in it. Right? When's the best time to show grace? When people don't deserve it. That's a marriage tip, by the way. <laughs> so we have been saved from God's wrath through Jesus. Number three, you are the righteousness of Christ. This is what we forget: as He is, so are we in this world. That that what G, who Jesus is to the Father, He sees us the same way if we are in Christ. That one is hard for most people. The one about not counting your sins against you. Most most people, if you if you ask them that about that in a church, they would say, "I don't think that that's true." Uh, this, what about what about the sin against the brother and sister? Like at the end of the day, David said. That my sin is against you and you alone. Even if I sin against my brother. Shouldn't do that. But even that sin against my brother or sister is still a sin against God. And God says, I I have no longer because of what Jesus did and you've received it. You're in Christ. I do not hold your sin. I won't count it against you. And then you are presently the righteousness of Christ. Listen to Romans 5.17. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more? Will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Are you reigning in life? Is your marriage reigning? Is your finances reigning? Pick an area. Relationships, right? Are you? Are, is your mental health? Is it? it are you reigning? In Christ. If you're not, look back into scripture and allow God to transform the way you think. And if you can get this, that you are the righteousness of of Christ, something begins to change in you and all the accusations of the enemy just bounce right off of you. They can't they can't take hold any longer, right? So what does grace look like practically in our community? This is a big thing about how we do this. Now, if you're looking for a local church, ask the question: Do they do this? We disciple as leaders. We disciple to your identity, not your behavior. So what does that mean? Well, maybe you're not treating your husband or your wife the way you ought to. Right? Now, listen, if you're, if you're doing something so over the, over the top, we're going to talk to you about it, obviously. But if you're struggling with language, <laughs> right? I'm struggling with anger. I'm struggling with fear. I'm struggling, and it's causing some behaviors in your life. It's not that we're, if it's, especially if it's creating problems in the local church, we're going to come talk to you about it, right? But our challenge is never going to be, hey, you should shine up. You better do the right thing, right? We're going to come and go, hey, listen, we want to talk to you about your identity. Why, why would you act this way if this is true about you? And the reason why we do that is because so often what, what it allows disciples to do is to overcome doubt, like am I really righteous? Am I really forgiven? Am I really worthy? And the answer is yes to all those things, right? It, it, it takes away, it allows disciples to overcome discouragement and the lies of the enemy. The enemy coming going, you're not worthy. You're not qualified to be a dad because at some point you looked at pornography. You're not qualified to be a good husband because at some point you, you stepped over into the sin. And the challenge is we want to disciple to your identity because when we do that and then you believe accurately, your behavior will flow from what you believe, not the other way around. Because remember Jesus said to the, to, the, to the religious people of the days, so he said, you're really clean on the outside, but where are you dirty? Right? On the inside. And he said, you're like death and decay. And he says, what I want to do is come and clean the inside of you. And when I do that, I'm speaking to your identity. That identity now begins to flow out in every arena of your life. So Jesus paid for our sin, past, present, and future. There is no sacrifice left for you to pay. So what are you going to give God to tell him that you're sorry? I'm really sorry this time. This is how we often do it. I'm so sorry this time. Lord, I've been struggling with this, this, this pattern in my life. And I'm, I'm really, Lord, last time I said I was sorry. <laughs> but now I'm ser- seriously, Lord, I'm really sorry. You ever do that? I've done that so many times. And finally, I just quit. And I said, who am I trying to convince? It turns out that it doesn't matter how sorry I am. What matters is I have been forgiven and my sin is no longer held against me and I am the righteousness of Christ and that is who I am. And because of that in my identity, I begin to live out and I have I stop having to be sorry for so many things. See how it works? Beautiful pr- perspective. Um, secondly, the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about three different gifts. The gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the way that we have seen... Greatest the greatest transformation happened in people's lives is through understanding the gospel of grace and then receiving the ministry of God's Spirit in their lives. So what does that look like? I want to put it into three categories simply. He's in us, right? He's on us and he's among us. So simply put, John 14, 16, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you. He's talking about the Spirit. And he will be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. If you're a believer, you know the Spirit of truth. Even if you're a cessationist, you still know him, right? For he lives with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He is in us for us. And so what does that mean? We we can testify to what God's done. The Spirit of God rises up inside of us and we begin to share what He's done in our lives. He teaches us, John 14 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. He'll teach you everything about Jesus, right? So the advocate comes and he'll he'll test, he'll cause you to testify. He'll teach us, he'll train us and guide us. John 16 13. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. The Holy Spirit will come, and he'll move in us if we allow him to do that, and it's powerful. Secondly, he's on us. He's on us for other people. He comes, he's in us for us, but he's on us for other people. And this is what it looks like, Acts 1-8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will. <laughs> you can decide not to walk in it. But you have that power. It's available to you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Acts 10, 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. This is the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. One of the things we love at DCF is that the Holy Spirit is still available for us today. He still moves in us today. So often, I minister to somebody, and while I'm talking to them, I'll either hear a scripture, I'll see a picture, I'll sense something, and when I speak that into them, they're like, have you been reading my mail? Yes, that's what I do. I come around to your mailbox, and I open it up and see what's going on, right? Or, (laughs) the Holy Spirit, who knows you more than you know yourself, is communicating through me something that is going to be helpful for you. Now, the question is, why doesn't the Holy Spirit just talk to you about it? It's a good question, isn't it? The answer is, you won't hear it. You'll go, that, that can't possibly be true. God, I, you know, you hear it in your head, and you'll go, I made that up in my head. We give, we give so many excuses, but if someone outside, supernaturally, brings the ministry of the Holy Spirit to you, it changes everything in a moment, Right? He's among us, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? He is is among us for our community. This brings like-mindedness. How does a church create a culture? We become like-minded. Why? Because we have, the Bible says, we have the mind of Christ. And if that's healthy and whole, then the mind of Christ will begin to manifest among us and we will be like-minded. It's a challenge to community, actually. So the Holy Spirit is among us for our community. So what does this mean practically for us as a church? He still speaks. He still guides. He helps to transform us. And he is leading and guiding us into truth today. God's doing that right here, right now, every day. So lastly is the gift of leadership. I'm often asked at DCF, are you guys part of a denomination? And I'm like, like 50s, 100s, you know, (laughs) they're like, What? And you just never think about it. And all it is, denomination is just a designation of we're going to agree to these doctrines. And to that extent, the answer is yes. I agree to Scripture. Like, well, you know, the Bible can be translated a hundred different ways. No, it can't. I'm sorry, it can't. So many things, when I read it in Scripture, I'm like, how did I not see that, you know, 20 years ago? I I don't know how I didn't, but I do know. Because someone taught me something else. And then I started seeing that in Scripture. It's called bias, right? I, start, I hear what I want to hear. I see what I've been, I've been shown, right? But part of you being open to the, to the heavenly Father is for him to transform you and speak truth into you, even if it's different than what you grew up having learned. So that doesn't mean that you've, you know, what you learned in your church growing up is wrong. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But the question is, have you ever asked? We used to say this all the time. It's like, you know, how's your, uh, how's your discipleship program? Well, I don't have one. Yes, you do, <laughs> all right? So you get this context of, how, you know, how's your marriage? You know, are you working on your marriage? Well, you know, I'm, no, not really. So, so what, you're mean, what you mean by that is you're letting your mar- marriage fall apart, slowly, of course, over time. But if you don't put any work in, if you don't intentionally lean in, your marriage is not going to be any good. And your relationship with God is the same way. So denominational or non-denomination, we are a non-denominational church. All that means is we're not part of the Baptist or the Assemblies of God or any other group of people. If you ask people in here, all of them come from some sort of heritage. Almost every single person comes from some particular heritage. And every one of them can tell you stories about the stuff they were taught early in their life or, or in their, in their uh, denomination that then they discovered that some of that was not necessarily true. Maybe a ton of it is massive inheritance was so true, and you're so thankful for your inheritance. I know I am, my heritage. But I've moved into the place where my denomination doesn't tell me what to believe. I'm not guided by that. I go back into Scripture and say, hey, it's actually there in Scripture. The Lord will teach us. He will show us. And if a leader says something to you, you need to find out, like Paul said to the Bereans, you need to go and study your Bible and find out whether that leader is telling you the truth or not. That's on you, right? I just come here to be fed. Well, maybe I'm feeding you porridge. Maybe I'm feeding you something else. I don't know. You need to make sure that when I teach you something, you go back and go, is that really true of what Scripture says? So we're in relationship. Even though we're not part of a denomination, we're in relationship. People ask, are you accountable? The answer is yes. We're in relationship and accountability with other like-minded churches. We just did a pastor's conference with a bunch of relating churches that are like-minded, like-minded, and it's amazing how quickly when we get together like that, how accountability begins to kick in and you begin to say, oh man, I'm not doing this well. I need to change some things about the way we do leadership or the way we do our services or whatever. And it brings us into a place of accountability. So we are. Biblical leadership structure at our local church is very simple. Um, you can call me Pastor Dave if you want, but that's just my function and title. It's, it's not my name any more than you know, your plumber Joe or electrician Bob, right? I don't call you that. So you, you don't have to call me Pastor today. Some people can't get past it because they grew up and it's a place of honor, and that's fine. I would rather you just honor me, not say the name as if you're honoring me. Does that make sense? <laughs> so, you know, you say that because I should respect and, and you know, respect the pastor and, and he's the leader of the church. And that's, no, 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 no. You don't respect and honor me because I have a title and position or a robe or any other religious, you know, whatever, paraphernalia. Don't do that. Either... A person has the goods or they don't. Either an elder or they're not. Either they're a deacon or they're not. It's it's pretty easy to determine because scripture says a deacon and elder must be these things. Not should be, not you know, most of them you can cover. It's okay. Must be these things. And we do that when we bring people into that role or those two roles, we always do that. So here's what that looks like. Elders oversee, they direct the affairs of the church, they guide, they govern, they guard, or they should. So if you're looking for a church. What's the leadership? How's, it guide? How's the eldership? Whether they call them elders or not, they're still elders in the church, right? Whether they call them deacons or not, they're still people deaking, right? So what are they doing? Are they guiding you? Are, are they governing well? In other words, are they bringing limitation? They're not just letting anything happen anywhere. They're administering the ministry of the, the, ministry of the Holy Spirit in a way that is most helpful. The services are doing uh, more good than harm. Are they doing that? Are they protecting? Are they guarding? Are they keeping at bay some of the things that that are out there? Are they challenging the culture? Are they challenging domineering Christians who come in and just like, I'm going to be in charge because I have a lot of money or a really strong prophetic gift or any number of things, right? And we don't do that. We love that you have money. You should give. The Bible says be generous. One reason why you have a whole bunch of money. So give. Give. Okay, (laughs) I have a strong prophetic gift. That's awesome. Bring your strong strong prophetic gift. But the Bible doesn't say the prophetic gifted people will lead the church. It doesn't say people with money get to lead the church or people with the gift of whatever get to lead the church. No, there's one group of people, the elders, guide, guard, direct. They're the ones who govern. This is, the Bible says that God made you overseers. He told, he's, Peter's talking to the elders, of, of whom God made you overseers of this flock. This is what God's called you to. So here's the picture of that, right? The, the whole idea is that we can speak with authority, but we don't have to be controlling. So are the leaders of the church, are they authoritative, but are they controlling? Because you, you can have both of those, or you can have one without the other. So what about deacons? Deacons help drive unity. Um, Both of those guys make up our leadership team. So once a month, we'll have an eldership meeting to talk about guard, guiding, and governing. And we're big decisions, big picture decisions based on what the Lord is saying to us as a church. I I can get into deeper more, more of that, but I won't. Um, but the deacons drive unity. So we gather together and we have conversations with the deacons. We go, hey, who's hurting? Who needs help? Uh, Where what, what are some challenges in the church? Are some things that I've been preaching or teaching that maybe some people are talking to you and saying, hey, I don't understand that. Or I don't think that's right. And that helps drive unity. They come to you and they put their arm around you and they're like, are you going to do? Are you going to give? I totally give. That's what I do too. You know, I'm generous. Are you, you going to lean into the gifts of the Spirit, man? I do that all the time. As a Matter of fact, let's pray and I'll do it right now with you. Right. So they're they're leading and driving unity. It's not that elders don't do that too. Not that deacons also don't help bring about decisions because so often they're, they're high places of leadership that we trust because they're honoring God and they've been, they're recognized, right? Recognition and revelation is how we decide who are elders and who are deacons, right? But here's the big one. People say, here's how you know, you feel safe. That's how you know if your mom and dad made you feel safe, Maybe they were good at some things or bad at others, but if they made you feel safe, they were healthy. And that's how you know a local church leadership team is healthy. Do they they make you feel safe, right? Do they cover you? Do they release you into everything God has for you? Do they make you feel safe? So this is probably the easiest, easiest thing to understand in government because most people don't care, but they should. The greatest blessing can come from the healthy biblical church government, and the greatest challenge or harm can come from unhealthy or unbiblical government. If you don't know that, what you come into becomes what you become, that becomes your culture. If you come into an unhealthy church, you won't know that for six months to a year unless you are intentional about getting plugged in, finding out who the leadership team I, I remember Mark and Suzette when they first, I'm going to pick on you, Suzette, since Mark's not here. <laughs> He's a big guy, so I have to be careful. Um, When they first came into our church, we brought them on the deacon team faster than anybody I've ever brought on a deacon team in all of my ministry, and it's 30-something years. Now, here's the thing. It wasn't because we needed help with deacons. We had a ton of deacons, right? We recognized, one, they were already serving in that capacity in their church. We recognized how close we were in doctrine and understanding. We recognized the connection. It was revelation. We looked at them and said, okay, are they, do they fit the character of, of, of deacons? The answer was yes. All the prophetic ministry and words about them is yes. We asked our eldership team, absolutely yes. Everybody's saying yes, and we're like, why are we waiting, right? It, but here's the thing. Every time we look around, they'd be here. We were here on, on Wednesday night doing some uh, uh, small group stuff. They were here. We were doing something on Saturday. They were here. They were here for every service. Mark and I were having lunch from time to time. We're having these deep, you know, biblical conversations. Guys, they live an hour away. And I, so stop making excuses. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but the whole thing was they were leaning in hard, man. They were so, they're like, this is our church. They were called and yeah. And it has been a party ever since. It's been a celebration, right? It was a beautiful picture of great leadership and the gift of safety and security. So how do we do this? How do we give the gift of leadership? The big picture is this. We govern to hearing God's voice and responding in maturity. So the thing we do, especially in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it can often come out as really kind of, for lack of a better term, uh, broken and immature. Remember Paul's writing to the Corinthian church and he said, you're doing the gifts wrong. So the big deal about the ministry of the Holy Spirit is it has to have strong leadership in the church. Otherwise, strong gifts will begin to influence church or influence the culture more than the elders do. And that's a very, very dangerous thing. So if you go to a church that says, we're a prophetic church, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But if, if we've chosen that, is it what God is trying to do? Or did that just happen because we have some really strong prophetic people and they're leading the church through their gift? Often in cessationist churches, you have very strong businessmen or influencers in the city. The mayor goes there or, you know, whatever. Or they have a lot of money, and then they're leading the church through their gift of giving, through generosity. See that? And the elders are afraid. They're afraid, if I say something to this guy because he's a really strong giver, if I challenge him to be a disciple, if I come out, you know, and say, hey, man, I want to speak to your identity because this is, your marriage is a mess, whatever. Are they afraid to do that? Because if they say that, they're going to quit giving. Or if I say that, they're going to quit prophesying. Or if I say that, the worship leader is going to go, I quit. You can do it yourself. <laughs> right? So we administrate appropriately what the Holy Spirit is after. So here's the big picture of this, and I'm almost done. We are here to serve you. I'm going to put this on the screen. Here's what leaders ought to do. We are here to serve you, but you are not our master. You want to influence the eldership team? Here's how you do it. Hear from God. Hear from God. Hear from God and share. Be a part of the community. Come share. Hey, man, I was praying and I felt like the Lord said this. Come into our prayer meetings times. It's open to anybody who wants to come. Come and be a part of the service. When I'm leading up here, we've got a microphone there. Someone comes up and says, man, I really feel like the Lord wants to minister to broken people in broken marriages. I'm going to go, wow, that's awesome. We're going to be listening for that, and we're going to see if that's what God is doing this morning. We're actually going to administrate that, and we're going to see marriages healed this morning, right? So we're here to serve you. We're serving. We lay our lives down as leaders to serve you, but you're not our master. We are here to lead you, but we are not your Lord. So that, again, that's the danger of falling into the the pastor such a strong or gifted or charismatic person. The danger is I begin to be discipled to him, not to the Lord. So one of the things that we do as, as leaders, and we teach this, and it's a culture of our leadership team, is we disciple away from ourselves. That's one reason why, Everybody who's been here for a while, you call me Dave, right? Maybe, maybe you've accepted me as your pastor. Maybe you haven't. That's up to you, right? Maybe you see me as the authority God gave to this congregation. Maybe you don't. But what we're not going to do is play the game of because I'm in a leadership role and I'm charismatic, that somehow I'm the one that you should serve. And, and I'm going to say this, and this is probably one of the, probably one of the most powerful things. We had this prophetic guy come in one time. And he had a revelation of this. We were sharing this, and he had a revelation because he'd not come from a culture like this. And he began to weep because he saw what, the, what unfortunately, some leaders were doing to the church. And he said, he said in my head, he goes, it's a horrible picture. I saw leaders drawing the attention of the flock to themselves rather than pointing that attention and that love and that kindness to the Lord. So let me give you a picture of this. When we were in Tyler, Texas, we had a, a, a deacon couple who had a little girl. She's about three or four. She was just starting to talk um, and, and, you know, through this whole process. And, and they noticed during worship that she got really, really affectionate with them. Like like if, if mom was holding her during worship, the presence of God would start to move. We could feel the presence of God and the love of God. She would turn around, and she would grab her mom's face and just hold her face and just look and just look into her eyes. And she goes, and her mom said, Man, this is the most, this is the deepest, most intimate moments I've ever had with my child. Like any other time, she wants to play with her toys. But man, in worship, she's just looking deep into my eyes. And, and she said, At some point I had a revelation. She's feeling the presence of God, and she doesn't know how to worship him. So she's doing that with me. So she said, all of a sudden, I felt stewardship kicked in, and I realized I'm loving this because it feels so good, right? The sweet love and emotion that that her daughter's given her. And some of that is appropriate, but at some point, it was moving past the appropriateness of the love a child has for their parent and the love that that child is having for their God. And churches do this. Leaders come in, and they're charismatic, they're gifted, they're powerful in a bunch of ways. Maybe their character's not so good. And they're, they preach, and their gift causes something to stir inside of you. You begin to see some inheritance. You begin to walk in some fullness of what God's called you to. Sense the love of God. And then if you're not careful, what will happen is those leaders will begin to draw your affection to themselves rather than point that affection to the Lord. And we're not going to do that. You come and bring that, go, Dave, that was the most amazing sermon today. Um, it just oh, it changed my life. I've been so transformed. Oh, Dave, you're so amazing. You grab my face and start looking deeply into my eyes. First of all, awkward. <laughs> Second of all, I'm going to go, hold up. <laughs> Can we just, isn't he amazing? And it's literally, it's just that simple. Isn't God amazing? Let's think, oh, Jesus, you're so amazing. And you know what they do? instantly go, oh, yeah, okay. It's so simple to build that culture. We are here to lead you, but we're not your Lord. So the last thing we do is, is the gift of belonging. And that's where we create a space for you to begin to bring your strength to this local body. See, God created you so uniquely, but you're just like everybody else. <laughs> right? Isn't that funny how it works? But it's two truths at the same time. You, you're, you're just like everybody else in the sense that you're gifted, you're capable, you have competencies, you have passions, you have a calling on your life. All these things are true of you, and it's different than mine, and that's okay. But you all have them. I have them. And what God called us to do is to come together, right, in in harmony, come together, not um, we're supposed to be uh, in unity, not, un- Not what's the word, Uh, uh yeah, there's another word for it. Unity versus uniformity. That's right. So so God didn't call us all to be the same. You ever see this in, in churches? When we went to Bible college, they called all the leaders there Hoodites because the pastor's name was David Hood, and they all looked like him. They dressed like him. They talked like him. They preached like him. It was it was ugly. And so, and so I was not from there, and I didn't do that, and I was awkward. I was so awkward. It was me and one other guy who came from Michigan who, weren't, who didn't grow up in that church, and it was super awkward. And so anyway, we don't want to call you hellites, although that would be weird, but it's even worse, I think. But why? Because, because you're supposed to be a Christian because you're like Christ, not a hellite because you're like Dave. Like, Don't get me wrong, you can be like me, but if you don't have my personality, you don't have my gifts, you don't have my strengths, you don't have my amazing sense of humor and my good looks, you're just going to be in trouble, right? (laughs) You guys are like, it's time to close, I think, Dave. So what does success look like at DCF? Success is simple. It's us worshiping God, us giving our strength to the Lord. But how do we do that? We give our strength to God. We give our affection to the Lord by serving His people. Remember, you've been given a ministry of reconciliation. That means what you do, you can do here in our meetings. These are awesome. I love these times. What I'm doing now is teaching, probably bringing some of you guys into an alignment. You're like, man, I've never heard that before. Or, oh, that makes perfect sense. Or, oh, I'm not so sure about that. I'm going to go study that. That's awesome. But we come into more of an alignment. That's apostolic in the way God moves people into apostolic and prophetic ministry to recognize this is what Scripture teaches us. Here's who we ought to be. But then how do I do that? And the answer is not just here on a Sunday morning. But we've been given the gift of community, right, to connect with one another, to be loved, to be received, to be mutually celebrated, mutually honored. We do this to you guys all the time. We'll we'll come up to you and go, you know what I love about you? And you're like, oh, it's super awkward, Dave, (laughs) until it's not, because everybody wants to hear what people love about them. And what we're doing is we're we're, we're preaching and 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 uh, discipling to your identity. We're saying, it looks like God has called you in this. Looks like you have this gift. Looks like this is a thing. Looks like this passion is on your life. Man, you should serve. You should give your strength. You should bring that right. You should release that. And this is how we do it. We do discipleship. This is the way we do it through our church, through grace teams, what some people call ministry teams, and and the other is through community groups and eventually missional community stuff that we're going to talk about in the future. But all of that is we're we're connected one another relationally, and then we serve based on the gifting and the calling and the passion and all those things in my life. So at DCF, everybody serves. Everybody serves. Everybody gives, <laughs> right? Everybody loves. The Bible says you owe, you owe one another a debt of love. Why? Because someone paid your debt and put you into a community to love one another well. And that means you have to bear one another. Go read the scriptures that talk about bears, There's one in the Old Testament where one attacks a bunch of people and then the rest of them up is bearing with one another, which is also sometimes challenging, right? But why? Because grace has been given to you, but it can also work through you and you can walk with people in grace. And how do you do that? Through relational connection. Our meetings will come and God does powerful things through the gifts and the ministry of the Spirit, but he does that every time you're together. In a community group, praying for one another, hearing one another's needs, loving, serving, in our kids' church, in our admin team, in our finance team, in our communication team, in whatever team we can come up with or whatever team you're gifted in. Bring your strength to this local body. So where do we go from here? It's really simple. You can continue to attend DCF. This is what we'll tell you in our About Us class. You can continue to attend DCF for as long as you want to. Um, we're, gonna love you. We're, we're going to love um, you. We're going to – the easiest way to think of it is you can belong – before you behave or even believe. You can belong to us as a family. We will love you deeply. If you want to become a member, if you want to become a member one with another in this body, the one requirement we have of you is that you are a believer. You have trusted Jesus to take away your sin. You're beginning to walk in grace. You have made that encounter. You are born again. You are a son or a daughter of the King. That's it. Everything else we're going to talk about in the next couple of uh, services in, our, in this series of belonging are expectations on you and expectations you can have a, a, as a, a, with us as leaders. And we've already, already come to some of those. So the second thing we're going to do is talk about membership 101 and 102, and that's expectations for leaders and members, and then helping you to discover the direction that God has called you to and called you to walk in. So I hope this morning has been helpful. Nobody ever talked to me about how to have, how to be a good local church. But all the things that we talk about is the secret sauce that makes DCF who we are. We have influence way bigger than our church. Uh, Prophetic words over us all the time or as you punch above your weight class. You know, I mean, stuff like that that you have more influence than your size dictates. Um, And I'll end with this. I had a word at this pastor's conference. A lady was praying for me. She said, Dave, I see you preaching from higher than normal. I'm like, dear God, our platform is already so tall, right? It's like some of you guys came in the first time, you're like, "Um, why does the platform need to be this big? That's a whole other coffee that we can have and talk about some good reasons. But she said, I see you preaching from a higher position than you've ever preached before. And if you know me, you think the way I joke and have fun up here when I'm preaching that I like to be seen and like for people I don't. I really don't. I never wanted that. It's just something that God did in me. I don't want my name on the sign. I don't want my name in lights. I don't want my name on anything. It's why we minister to you and challenge you to rise up and walk in your heritage. While we celebrate Alan Mitchell and Travis and, you know, whoever, we celebrate and honor them and lift them up all the time. We celebrate you and lift. Why? Because I don't care about that, right? So she says you're, you're high and lifted up, basically. I'm like, oh, that's not good. I don't want that. She said, but it's not because you want to be seen i uh, like, oh, maybe you are prophetic. <laughs> she says, but you're, high, you're, you're high, preaching from a higher place. And she said, and you're looking around, and she said, to your left and your right, um, she said it's the, the walls have been expanded so that it can take on, the building can take on more people. Now, some of you guys know a plan at some point, we can't go out that way or that way. The plan is at some point we take this big stage and reduce it a little bit, turn this sideways, and we go out that way, <laughs> Right? Twice, I mean, same distance. We can double our church just by doing that. It's the least expensive way. We've, we've looked at plans to do it. We have that in our head, right? So she didn't know that. I'm like, okay, so we're going to expand. She said, and the reason you're preaching from a higher position is because you look down, and she said, the foundation is so, so deep. And if you know anything about me, what I do well is I build foundations really well. Some of you guys get sick of it. You're like, Dave, I've heard that a million times, and I'm like, I know, but I wouldn't be telling you if you got, if you got it already. So I'm just saying the fact that I'm telling you again should challenge you. <laughs> but you're, you're like, I've heard this a million times, but are you living it? Are you living it? Because if you're not, I haven't done my job. Paul said that. He said, it's not hard for me to say this again to you because you're not walking in the fullness. By now you ought to be teachers. I have to come to you with milk and not steak because you're still babies, it's always a challenge, not to get you to do right, that's not what we're about, but to release you to the inheritance that Jesus paid such a high price to give to you, to walk in the fullness of everything God made you to be, to be celebrated and honored among brothers and sisters, to people go, oh, I love this person in kids' church, they're so amazing. Man, nobody loves like this, nobody can counsel, man, nobody has this. That's what we, we're here and what we're after to do. And so the picture, God says, the foundations are deep, and that's true. All the secret sauce that we have talked about is what we've been doing for 13 years to build the foundation so that when we grow and expand, and it'll probably happen quickly, when that occurs, that the foundation will support the building that God is building upon it. You are one of the stones for that building. So step into everything that God has for you because we desperately need you because this city needs to know grace. This city needs the power of the Holy Spirit. This city needs your gift and your strength and your charisma and your passion and your calling. Amen? Stand with me. I apologize for going a little bit long. Uh, the About Us class is shorter, but I had to kind of set it up. As we go into next week, like I said, we're going to talk about some expectations. So be a part of this. It'll be online. If you happen to miss one of these, you can go back and look at it. But I just, want to, I just want to challenge us. As we go into the future, we're going to tighten up what we call membership. We're just going to say, hey, it's time for you to know what you're saying yes to if you're part of us as a body. And it's it's we know what we're telling you, right? You have We have expectations of you. You can have perfectly clear expectations of us as a leadership team. And when we have that, clarity comes and vision is accomplished. So that's what we're after in this. So Jesus, thank you for today. Lord, would you speak to us about what it is that you're building, Lord, how you're taking me as a living stone, Lord, and connecting me into this foundation, Lord of what you have built because of what you did on the cross, and your passion and your mission for the world. Lord, to remind us that our ministry is reconciliation, to remind people that because of what you did on the cross, you no longer count our sin against us. What good news we get to share with people. Jesus, let us do that well. Let us be released into all of our inheritance. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much. If you need prayer this morning, we would love to minister to you. One of our grace teams is the ministry team. They'd love to pray over you and minister into your life. Um, Come on up the front. We'd love to do that this morning. If not, have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next Sunday.